0: Let's see. Okay, I think we're live on Spreaker now. I apologize for those of you listening live to the audio podcast on Spreaker. We tried to go live a second ago and it shut down. But it looks like we're good now. We reestablished that feed. So you guys, uh, you can either watch on YouTube, of course, like always, or you could listen on Spreaker. And then after that live feed goes out in Spreaker, it's going to go everywhere. You know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. As always, I remind you guys, please. Give me that like, give me that follow, that subscription, and uh, share the show. Get the word out about the show. That helps me a lot. I'm struggling with my voice. Uh, I kind of have a, I don't want to say a sore throat, but like I'm losing my voice because I've been talking a lot today. I've been on the phone with a lot of friends and family members. Some of it's boxing-related, some articles I'm writing for RingTV.com, which should be out this week, so you can uh, look for that stuff, but... Uh, Also, just some of the things that are going on in the world and in the country um, over this past weekend, Tiffany and I spent the weekend on curfew. We literally were not allowed to leave our house after 9 o'clock p.m. Saturday night, Saturday night. You know, we had worked in the yard all day and done stuff here in the house, and we were not allowed to leave our house. We could have been arrested because there was a curfew in our neighborhood here in Atlanta Uh, So, you know, because of assholes out doing some really messed up shit that had nothing to do with the tragedy that took place recently in Minnesota that should have never happened, you know, some officers on the force who should have never been on the force, career losers who were allowed to uh, murder a man, Um, are hundreds of miles away from that, and idiots uh, wanted to make some shit about them. And because of that, innocent people like me and my soon-to-be wife, We're stuck at home on curfew all fucking weekend. So go figure. Uh, But, you know, hey, me just expressing that frustration, that's going to trigger some of you out there. That's the world we live in right now. Hashtag 2020. Got to love it, baby. 2020 just keeps getting better. Anyway, guys, uh, phone lines are open. Again, open discussion today, whatever you'd like to discuss. And, of course, you guys watching uh, live on YouTube, get in the chat. And, um, you know, anything you guys want to talk about, Get it in there. Anyway, um, so look, uh, next next Saturday, June 13th, is my 41st birthday. So there will be no show June 15th, that Monday. So we'll have a show next week. And the week after that, we won't have a show. I'll actually be out of town. Uh, Tiff and I are just getting out of town for a few days and trying to get away from everything and just unplug for a few days to celebrate my 41st birthday. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up. I'll give you a heads up again. Next Monday, our next Monday's show. And uh, as far as boxing goes, we are getting back to it, guys. Slowly but surely, we're getting back to it. I've talked about this a little bit recently. Uh, we have a few club shows coming up in June, and basically, you're going to start getting Tuesday and Thursday night fights from top rank. You now, some of these shows are not necessarily great. A lot of these shows are. Um, Uh, showcase type of of fights, right? Showcase type of fights. Mismatches, however you want to word it. And I understand a lot of your frustration about that. I don't think mismatches should ever be defended. I don't like showcase fights. In this situation, I'm kind of willing to give it a pass. And here's the thing, guys. If you don't want to watch Shakur Stevenson (laughs) fight this Puerto Rican cab driver on Tuesday, what is it, uh, Tuesday, June 9, then don't watch. Don't watch. You know what I'm saying? But you don't have to watch. You're not being forced to. But if you want to watch, watch. Me, I'm kind of interested. I'm going to watch, not necessarily because I'm just starved for boxing or starved for sports. There's plenty of old school fights I can punch up and watch. I'm interested to see uh, just how it looks. Just the way that they shoot everything, the way everything's lit. The studio setup, the audio, the acoustics of it all. I'm kind of morbidly curious. And that's why I'm going to be watching more than anything else. Is just to see the way they do the show. I want to see how it looks, how it sounds, how it feels. And then we're going to talk about that. So I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to watch the shows coming up on June 9, June 11. And then, uh, again, unfortunately, I won't have uh, a podcast that following Monday but maybe I'll do a rant video or something before I head out of town for the weekend for my birthday. Uh, a couple of you guys asking my age. I, I'm going to be 41. 41. Nah, I think one of you guys said 44. Nah, so um, I'm going to be 41 years old. And um, yeah, man, you know, I think you know, I think I'm looking at all right for my 40s. I think I'm getting around to all right. Super chat pledge from Trent. Thank you so much, Trent. I appreciate that. He says, "Yo, Mike, have you checked out six foot seven Uzbek heavyweight?" Jalolov yet. I feel he is the only heavyweight prospect that can compete with Dubois. I haven't, dude. Let's look this dude up. Let's see. Jalolov. Jalolov. Box wreck. Let's take a look at this guy. All right. Uzbeki professional boxer, 25 years old, 6'6". Hey, what do I say about these Uzbeks? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. You know what? I've seen this dude. Hell, yeah. Now I'm just checking out the picture. I actually remember his pro debut um, against, uh, yeah, Hugo Trujillo. And, uh, yeah, because he fights out of Brooklyn. You know what I'm noticing about the Uzbeks? There's a group of them kind of East Coast-based, and then there's a group of them West Coast-based, which is interesting to me. You're kind of getting a group that's coming up out of Brooklyn and that area. There's even some Uzbek guys training in Detroit. And then you have a group of them on the West Coast as well. But I'm telling you guys, over the next three, four, five years, you're going to see several titleists from that part of the world. Uh, we already got a caller on the chat. Let's go over to, uh, to the phone lines, guys. Uh, three, one, seven, three, one, seven. You're on the show. Go.
1: Hey, what's up, Mike? It's Jack Alter. How you doing? Jack, what's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm about to get my license in a month. I know I'm 18, but i about to get awesome. my driver's license, man.
0: Awesome, <laughs> dude. Congrats, brother.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, People keep talking about politics. Some guy asked, if you don't mind me sharing what political side you fight, fall on. I, I just said, excuse me, I just said the smart side because, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people, I saw something recently, uh, and people can't hate me for this. People were saying uh, Trump said that he's uh, he's more hated than Lincoln. And people were like, oh, you're not more hated than Lincoln. And then I'm just like, y- you all are hating on him. They're like saying, oh, fuck you, Trump you're not more hated than Lincoln. And then he exactly like proved their point. So
0: I just thought that was something interesting that I saw lately. Dude, there's just, there's a lot of hatred in general out there, man. Like um, I just, I kind of sat back. I didn't tweet a whole lot this weekend. I just kind of sat back and looked at Twitter and watched what people were tweeting and posting on Instagram, Facebook, all of it. And there's a lot of people that are basically just being fucking parrots right now, just saying what everyone else is saying, which is nothing new. And then there's a lot of people, and it's going in, in both directions, that are just spitting a lot of negativity and anger and hate. And they're like no one's listening. People are just yelling and screaming, but no one's listening. And it's just it's just a it's just been a shitty time, man. It's hard not to be kind of depressed about all this shit, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, but one thing I've been doing, I've been like redecorating my room and uh, a little while back, my dad got me all these old boxing magazines and I open up the front page, like, uh, like, like boxing digest, old school boxing digest. If you flip like the front cover over to the very first page, there's like little fight posters. I, th- I think you knew that.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, I've just
0: been hanging on my, on my wall. Like you do. So that's awesome, dude. Yeah, man. <laughs> dude. Yeah. You know, yeah. A lot of like in situations like this, where everyone's just burning the fucking planet down, the best thing you could do is something positive for yourself. Even if it's something as small as improving your room, improving your house, improving your body, improve all those things are positive and they end up building up and improving the community. And if more people would just focus on themselves and getting their own fucking life together, we'd all be better off. But that's yeah, cool. Bro. Um, that's I was cool. On...
1: Uh, what were you going to
0: say? No, I was just saying, that's cool, man. I love old school magazines and like, Get them up on your wall like I got here in the studio, bro. It's just inspiring to see all that every day. You know what I'm saying? You'll love it, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been watching some Inaway recently, and you know it was really heartwarming. I don't know if you've seen it. So like, you remember that fight? And just an amazing fight. Like, like if you're super hardcore, like them hugging at the end after such a hardcore fight will like make you cry. Like that. Hell like yeah, that bro. stuff was so. That fight was so beautiful. And then... You're talking uh, about Inouye's fight, fight with
0: Donaire, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Donaire like, promised his kids to give him the uh, trophy. And then Inouye lended him the trophy. And I saw the video. I remember the kids remember that. Saying, that was the sweetest thing I've ever seen in boxing history. That was just the nicest thing I've
0: ever seen, that Inouye would do that. Inouye is a true gentleman. Nonito Donaire is just a true professional... And he started this whole VADA, you know, uh, clean sport thing. He was the first, man. And he paid for all that, all that testing and stuff 24-7, 365 himself. He didn't just talk to talk. He walked the walk. And the way he conducted himself before, during, and after that fight with Inouye Dude, it just he's a yeah. Hall of Famer in my book. The second he's eligible, he's in, you know, according to – for me he's awesome yeah
1: um oh crap i just lost my train of thought last second
0: sorry um, my bad dude that's me just uh no, 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 blabbing
1: no, no. oh yeah oh yeah yeah i remember now okay so i was on uh lukey boxing on twitter like the itr podcast and you were on there so you know i know you know who it is mm-hmm. and um <laughs> you're gonna think this is so stupid he said that i was like yeah, Inouye is like my top in my top five pound for pound. You know, anyways is a beast. And then Luki was like, "Well, I think that way is a knockout waiting to happen." And I, was, I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, hey, you know, <laughs> how do you
0: figure that? The one thing about well, I, I may I don't know. You're like, yeah. <laughs> how he gets that, you know, thought. But may, maybe it comes from the fact that you can touch way and I think a lot of people thought that Donaire was shot. Going into that fight with Inouye. But I remember telling everybody, this fight's going to be competitive. This fight's Because people thought he was just going to destroy Donair. And I told everyone, man, donaire has been fighting at heavier weight classes. He's crazy experienced. He's the best, most experienced opponent Inouye has fought. This is going to be a tough fight, and it's going the distance. And people thought I was nuts. I wasn't the only one who said that, but I was one of the few. And, like, I wasn't surprised. I was surprised at how great the fight was. It was even better than I expected. But I wasn't surprised at all that Donair put hands on Inouye. Dude, he's got so much experience. He's been in with everybody. So maybe Luki uh, is just basing his opinion too much on that last performance. I thought it was a great performance by Inouye. I thought it was one of those things that he's going to be a better fighter. I kind of look at that as, like, a smaller... You know, weight wise version of when AJ fought Klitschko. Vladimir Klitschko made AJ better. And he's going to be a better fighter because of that fight and his loss to Andy Ruiz. So I think it's the same thing with that fight with Inouye and Donaire. That Donaire fight, that made Inouye better. Well, one of the things,
1: yeah, man, that was such an amazing fight. But uh, one of the things that Luki was saying, how is Inouye keeps going up in weight? So how would you feel like if in a way thought like Shakur Stevenson at like 118 uh 126
0: I mean if that ever happened well right in a way well in a way is great I, I do think that 122 126 is going to be the cutoff he's going to kind of be like Lomachenko do where he's going to go up so much in weight I mean he's a more explosive puncher than Lomachenko but he's going to go up so much in weight where it's, it's going to count against him I don't think there should be any rush for him to go up that high in weight Shakur Stevenson's long and tall, cr- has crazy reach uh, for his weight and everything. I, I just, maybe one day, if that's a big fight or something, cool. But right now, dude, top rank has enough people at 118 and, and 122 for the monster to fight. And he's got to, like, really stake his claim. I, I hope he stays at 118 for a little while. And then I hope he f- goes to 122 and stays there for a few years. He used to hang around at one weight class it kinda like be the man there for a while, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you think uh
1: how would you see Inoue versus Rigandau?
0: What wait Rigandau is at 122 right now. Um I think you know what it, it probably look in some ways kind of like the Donair fight in the sense that Rigandau is so experienced and skilled that I just, I couldn't see Inouye just going in there and blasting him out. It's always possible because Rigondeau is like 800 years old, so it's possible. But if they fought uh, tomorrow, I'd say 12-round distance fight, Inouye beats him. That's what I would say.
1: Well, you know, the thing is, Inouye can knock anyone out. Like, look at the body shots. He can knock anyone out. And Rigondeau's shown a really, like, (laughs) like, he's been really chinny. He's been, like, dropped with a jab. You know, I just can't see Ringo and There was a fight recently. I can't remember. It was the guy's name was like it was Rigovers versus like Dojo or something like that. Yeah, I remember. Like, I know Bro. what fight you're
0: talking about. Uh, let me look. Yeah, that and up. he like
1: knocked him out, but he was getting he was getting touched up. Like he was out in his feet in one of the rounds. Um, wait, let me go. I'm he on like stood. Right he stood okay. and
0: traded a little bit with that dude. Uh, let me see. Who was it? Liborio uh, Solis. Oh, you're yeah. talking about oh. the Seja fight yeah. before he knocked him out. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Well, even, even that Solis fight was close. Uh, closer than it probably most people would have thought it would be. But, yeah, the Julio Seha fight. Uh, both fighters deducted a point for low blows. Seja down in the eighth round. Yeah, it was crazy, dude. Uh, the judges had him down in that fight. Uh, all three judges. I'm just looking right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. all three judges had him down in that fight before that stoppage. And it was
1: a horrible stoppage, too. He just got dropped. Like, what do you think? Do you remember that stoppage? Like yeah. With, like, a clean left.
0: I felt like, you know, the I felt like Dude was hurt and writing was on the wall. But it, it felt a little premature. Like, he was kind of getting bailed out. Like, oh, shit, here we go. Let's stop this shit, you know, while we have a chance. It kind of felt like one of those. Um, but, yeah, Dude, I mean, let's see. How old is Regan? They list him as being 39. That Dude... I'm turning 41 in a week and I look way younger than this dude. So (laughs) I don't know about the 39, Uh, but I, you know, yeah, dude, I could see in a way possibly moving up and stopping him. It's just, uh, and and you know what, if something like that did happen, let's say that fight will never happen. Number one, because of the the politics involved, but if it did, it would be a testament to, again, that fight with Donaire, where he learned from that, you know, he kind of learned on the job he could take the lessons learned in that fight and apply it to somebody like Rigon Diao. He really, really could.
1: Yeah. I'm going to say, uh, I want to give someone else a chance to call and I'm going to bring up <laughs> everything I'm saying is completely like different topics. But, uh, I was talking to layman, like how, um, I was saying, who, were you going to fight anyone after you knocked out Klitschko? And he said, uh, not a lot of people wanted to fight me. And I'm like, what about Holyfield? And he said, Holyfield would fight anyone. Well, he said Holyfield would fight me, but Holyfield was like his idol. So, uh, but he said Holyfield would fight like Godzilla, like Holyfield would not duck anyone ever. So what do you think about that?
0: Holyfield wanted to fight Klitschko. He wanted to fight Vladimir. Uh, they, they, there were talks about all that, but the Klitschko's respected him too much and didn't want to do it. I think James Tony reached out to one of them to fight one of them. And there was a a similar thing where they were like, dude, I got too much respect for this guy. I don't want to, you know, hurt him. And I didn't want to do it. But, yeah, dude, Holyfield, part of what made Holyfield great is he was willing to fight anybody. But at the same time, that might be the reason why I kind of don't want to see him come back. Because it's like, dude, you've already taken too much punishment. Like, you've, you've proven yourself. You don't need to fight anymore. And I hope he stays out of the ring.
1: Yeah, you know what's a funny thought that just came to my mind? How would you see uh, Wilder versus Valuyev?
0: I know it's totally oh, random, shit. but that'd be a funny fight. <laughs> that would, dude. That would be a really funny fight. There'd be a lot of flailing and flopping. I just like Valuyev was a statue, so I would have to think that Wilder would drop him with a right hand. I just don't know. Could could V'Luv eat those right hands all night? He did weigh like a hundred and something more pounds than Wilder, and Wilder would be punching up at him so he'd lose leverage, but Wilder's just so much faster and more athletic than Valuev. I'd favor Wilder to knock him out because Valuev just didn't do anything really really well. You know what I'm saying? He was huge, but yeah, I'd have to favor Deontay in that one. Yeah, I'd have
1: to agree. All right, man, I'm going to head out. Uh, you have the Great Rest of Your Podcast. I'm going to sit here and uh, watch it. And, uh, yeah, man, stay
0: safe. All right, brother. All right, bye. All right. There goes Jack, everybody. All right. So, uh, whoa, it's another Super Chat pledge from Trent. Thanks again, Trent. He says, yo, what are your thoughts on Yelusinov? Very good-looking prospect. Very good. That dude will win titles. I'm trying to think. um, Boxing Monthly, we did a piece on him. I can't remember what month that was, but uh, pretty soon after he went pro. He only had a couple of fights. So we did a piece on him. Uh, he says uh, Trent says he beat Josh Kelly and Taylor in the amateurs. Yep, I like uh, GSOF and Ergashev more. Title shot time for Ergashev. I don't think Ergashev ready for a title shot yet. But don't sleep on Yulushinov. I'm telling you right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look up his. Um, I'm gonna look up his amateur record because there's more guys that he beat. Because I want to say he was World Series of Boxing as well. Another Kazakh guy. Yeah, he's 9-0 and now. He's actually set. Oh, he's. Wow. Uh, set to fight Julius Ndongo next April. I'm just looking at BoxRec, guys. And, yeah. Uh... Whoa. Let me make sure. I don't know what I just did right there. But he's set to. He's on a schedule to fight Julius Ndongo. Uh, April 17th, 2021 at the MGM National Harbor, Oxon Hill. That's really odd, man. That's got to be a typo. Anyway, yeah, World Series of Boxing. He was in the World Series of Boxing as well as a good amateur record. And he fought on the Kazakh team, which crushed it in the World Series of Boxing, obviously. But uh, that dude, I'm telling you, man, Southpaw, welterweight, ten. That welterweight division that's being dominated by American PBC fighters, eh, five years from now, I don't know. You got guys like Yulianov coming up. You got, uh, of course, Virgil Ortiz, top rank. You know, already has um, Terence Crawford there. They got a couple guys that are going to be moving up from 140. That PBC stronghold on uh, right now on the welterweight division, guys, that, that's going to go away over the next five years. But Yulianov, 2012 Olympian, 2016 Olympian, that's where he beat Kelly, and he beat Giosov as well to win the gold. Uh that dude that dude's legit bro. That dude's legit. Wow. So yeah, okay. I for whatever reason Boxrec I'm just checking it out, but Boxrec has a card slated for Saturday, April 17th, 2021 at the MGM Grand National Harbor match room Eddie Hearn. So Eddie's already lined this up with the MGM for next April. Holy shit. Uh, Regis Regis is going to fight Maurice Hooker. Yelusinov is going to fight Julius Ndongo, which is a great fight for him in his 10th pro fight. Philip uh, Hergovich is going to fight uh, Journeyman, but he's going to be on that card. Wow, that's crazy. Uncle Eddie, he's got shit scheduled way out next year already. Next April. Craziness. Okay, where was I before Jack's call? Good call, Jack. You call. I talked to you guys Friday about uh, Ivan Baranchek fighting Jose Zapeda July 7th, Las Vegas. Do not sleep on that fight. That fight will deliver. Okay. Some of you might not be too familiar with those names. You might not know too much about them. But seriously, seriously good matchup. I see Hamed in the chat said that uh, that card was already penciled in. Yeah, Hamed, I, that card was supposed to happen this spring. And it got... I, I'm just, I'm giving Eddie Hearn props for scheduling that out. I mean, next April, dude, that's almost a year from now. So he's got a card on the books, like way out there, way out there. That's pretty impressive, man. That is pretty impressive. Okay. Um, you guys know about Arrow Spence, Danny Garcia. Of course, that's coming up. Uh, you're going to get uh, Lomachenko Lopez. That's co- those are both going to be pay-per-view. So uh, CJ Duncan in the chat. What's up, man, with the super chat pledge? Thank you so much, CJ. He says, Montero, be well, brother. Salute to you and Tiff. Same to you and Vicky, man. Um, I hope everything is uh, safe there in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, things got a little crazy here in Atlanta, and we were on lockdown this weekend. We we had two months of lockdown because of a virus, and then this weekend, Saturday night and Sunday night, we're on curfew because of idiots smashing shit. And I'm thinking, you know, I was I was telling Tiff, I'm like, baby, we, were, we spent all weekend working in our yard. I told you guys, you know, the yard work we're doing. And uh, I'm like, we're improving this house. We're renovating this house, which is going to add, give added value to our community. We, we've only lived here in Atlanta for like a year. And we're already adding value to the community here as newbies here. We're, you know, increasing the value of this home, which is going to help this community. The tax base goes up. That's going to help the kids and the schools, the funding for the schools, all that. And we're being punished because of some dumb fucks want to go uh loot a cheesecake factory did you guys see that i tweeted about this girl who looted the cheesecake factory that was in seattle by the way tiffany's co-worker is from seattle knows which cheesecake factory she looted that shit from and and told us that it's been closed because of covid for a while so whatever cheesecake she stole that was an old ass cake she probably got sick off that shit what an idiot anyway all right tangent let's talk about uh So about Lance Armstrong, and look, if you guys don't want to talk about this, tell me in the chat, and we'll change subjects, okay? But this Lance Armstrong documentary on ESPN, there was only two parts, and it followed, of course, that Michael Jordan documentary that was 10 parts. So this wasn't as in-depth, but I thought it was very, very interesting because there are definitely parallels between Lance Armstrong and Michael Jordan, not in terms of being cheaters, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in terms of their, they're almost sociopaths because they're so competitive. They will do whatever it takes to win. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're literally sociopaths. Michael Jordan included. He's a, he's a sociopath. I'm not saying that to diss the dude, but it's, it's legitimate. And Lance Armstrong was, for a while, the Michael Jordan of, of uh, bicycling. And by the way, I don't know dick about bicycling. I don't know shit about it. But I knew who Lance Armstrong was, and that's the whole point. Even people that never watched basketball before know who Michael Jordan is, right? And Jordan really changed the game as far as, like, how the NBA marketed its product, how athletes marketed themselves as, like, you know, with sponsors and things like that. And Lance Armstrong did the same thing with not only with cycling, but he did the same thing with um, with cancer research. And that was the one good legacy that Armstrong had because he started that whole cancer research foundation thing way before he was turned into this fucking bully, right? It was just going after people and suing people and all this. He actually did a lot of good and raised not just millions, but literally hundreds of millions of dollars to help people in this, this cancer world. So he did, He's such an interesting dichotomy. He's such an. I tweeted today: Lance Armstrong is an extremely interesting case study in human psychology because he's literally yin and yang at the same time. He did a lot of good work for the cancer stuff. He actually made it not cool. No, it's not cool to get cancer, but okay to publicly talk about it. And they talked about that in the documentary. You guys have seen those tweets. Where you'll see someone who just got done with chemo, right? And they'll be leaving the hospital for the last time. And as they're walking out, all the doctors and nurses are clapping and giving them a standing ovation. They like ring a bell. You guys have seen those tweets, right? Everyone loves those tweets. It doesn't matter what side you're on politically, what what your background is. Everyone loves those tweets. They just make you feel good. Everyone hates cancer. It's universal. That's one thing that unites everybody. And Lance Armstrong, for all the horrible things this guy did, that is one positive, really, really positive thing he did. He was the first, like, quote-unquote celebrity, or there's no quotes. He was a celebrity, to to make that kind of stuff acceptable, to make it cool to, like, tweet about your cancer. And I, I actually, I have a cousin right now going through cancer, and she's bald. She just went through chemo. And she posts photos of herself without hair. And, you know, she's a grown woman posting photos of herself bald. And she feels, like, empowered to do that. And Lance Armstrong kind of made that cool. He kind of made it okay. Before him, people kept that shit private. They didn't talk about it publicly. And now people feel empowered to talk about things publicly. So that's a really good thing he did. But at the same time, he was this awful fucking guy that... Was so invested in winning at all cost, all cost, that he would shit on his teammates. He was a bully. He would go after anybody, any journalist that questioned him. There was some girl who I think was either a strength and conditioning coach or like a physical therapist that talked about him, and he went after her. There a wife of one of his teammates. He went after her like he was. He's was just nasty. And then I look at Michael Jordan, and that's basically what he was. I know, like, it's become like where you can't say anything bad about Michael Jordan, but he's a fucking asshole. And I'm not just saying that because I'm from Detroit and I grew up hating Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. But Magic Johnson and Larry Bird have some redeeming qualities. They're nice guys. Michael Jordan's a fucking dick. Everyone that knows him will tell you that. He doesn't have many friends. He was a horrible husband. He's a horrible boyfriend. He's not a very good father and all that. Because he's, he was so focused on winning at all costs. Everything came second. His family, his friends, and he bullied his teammates. He used his power in the league. The league was basically, David Stern was the commissioner of the NBA at the time, was in business with Michael Jordan. And they, Jordan could do no wrong. David Stern changed the rules of the NBA and went after the Detroit Pistons on behalf of Michael Jordan. That's basically Lance Armstrong shit. Lance Armstrong just upped it a couple degrees. So you have the same level of sociopath, win at all cost, just fucking tyrannical bully asshole. They're the same dude. The difference is, here's the big difference. Michael Jordan grew up in a loving home with a good father, a wonderful mother, a good father that were around. And he, he had that love and support from an early age. He has you know siblings. He's close with them. Lance Armstrong's uh, mother, I think, got pregnant when she was 16. The dad ran out. So this dude grew up in a home with no like biological father. The stepdad that raised him raised him cold with no love, kind of raised him almost like in a military way. So Lance Armstrong, same level of sociopath as Michael Jordan, but grew up in a much colder home without his real dad. And you see the effect that had on him. Even to this day, he just seems like a cold dude. I think that there's some redeeming qualities in him. Again, all the good work he's done with the cancer stuff. And he seems to be, generally speaking, a decent father. I don't think he's been very good in relationships, at least least while he was cycling but an awful fucking teammate, a tyrant, right? And uh, it's, just, it's just so interesting to see a dude like him and just listen to him talk, absorb all that, and see how complex of an individual he is. Uh, that he can be like so far positive and so far negative, but that drive propelled him to be the best ever at his sport. And here's one thing I'll say about him cheating, Yeah, he doped. But that sport, guys, you think like fight sports are dirty? You think like the NBA, the NFL are dirty? Dude, cycling is probably the dirtiest fucking sport on earth. They all do it. The dude who comes in last place in the Tour de France definitely is doping. They're all doing EPO. All of them. All of them. So basically, Lance was... Competing on an even playing field with all these other dudes, and he was just better than them. So he was a stud, but he did cheat. But it just tells you the advantage you get from doping. The couple years he wasn't doing EPO, they talked about this in the documentary. I want to say it was the mid '90s or something. He didn't. He couldn't uh, finish. He couldn't, or he finished, but he couldn't compete in the races. He was getting beat. He couldn't place because it's like that 10 percent difference in doping that's enough to take you over the edge and make you the champion. So I just found all that very interesting. And you contrast that to boxing. Even if you're doing whatever drug it is, and it's giving you only a 10% advantage that helps you cut weight or helps you have energy and stamina late in the fight, rest and recovery is better. That 10% advantage can be what takes you from being a... Fringe contender level guy to a guy who ends up winning a title and making hundreds of thousands of dollars. It really can make that difference. So it's just interesting the way these things work. There's so many parallels to that whole thing. And there's still a part of Lance Armstrong that I think, I don't know, dude, it feels like he's justified in what he did. Had he not been such a fucking bully, had he not tried to come back and just walked away? I think it was 2005. After that seventh tour to France, had he just walked away and not been such a dick and not been such a bully and not gone after all those people, he probably would have got a pass. You know, he prob- people probably would have been like, all right, man, you screwed up, but we forgive you. But because he was such a tyrant, and even now to this day, you can tell he's still kind of holding on to that shit and still feels kind of entitled. Not entitled. Uh, maybe entitled, but like justified in what he did. Even going after people. Like, that's why people don't like him. He's very polarizing. Very polarizing. And again, I'll go back to Michael Jordan, who is polarizing in his own way. But generally speaking, Michael Jordan is beloved. For the most part, people respect him and love the guy. Even though he's every bit of a sociopath, a tyrant, and a bully as Lance Armstrong is. he's He was every bit as nasty. Uh, he was horrible, the things he pulled, right? Look at Isaiah Thomas in uh, the Dream Team in 1992. Again, I'm from Detroit, full disclosure. But if you guys don't think that shit came from Michael Jordan, you're crazy. That's why Isaiah didn't get the Dream Team. Christian Leitner should have been off. Isaiah should have been on. But because... Michael Jordan ran the NBA back then, the way Lance Armstrong ran cycling for like a decade. Uh, Jordan got his way. And uh, anyway, just interesting parallels. I love human psychology and just digging into stuff like that. And it kind of brings it full circle. Jay Perez in the chat says Isaiah was a bit of a douche too. Yeah, he was. Okay. I'll fully admit that. You guys, I think I've told you this before. I... uh, Isaiah Thomas was my hero growing up. I love Thomas Hearns and but Isaiah was my hero. I had every Isaiah t-shirt, my walls had a bunch of Isaiah Thomas posters. He was my idol. He was my favorite player. He was my favorite person. He was like he was it for me. Like I, I just was a huge Isaiah Thomas fan. And as I got older and became an adult, I learned dude, you know, he's kind of a douchebag. <laughs> There's things about Isaiah that He's a complicated man. Okay, um, a lot of people don't like Isaiah. They didn't like him when he played. He's he was a horrible general manager. I think with the New York Knicks has not done very well at the executive level in the NBA. This just does not have a good record there. So I get it. And he was a bully too. Isaiah had a certain amount of power. It was nowhere near what Larry Bird, Magic Jordan, or Magic Jordan, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan had. But he did kind of have a certain amount of power, particularly in Detroit. And he was a bully. Okay. But I think he got done wrong with that 92 Dream Team, man. He deserved to be on that 92 Dream Team. And it was because of Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I promise. Okay. (laughs) I see. Uh, Now, Piglet Smith says third best point guard. I agree, dude. Well, okay. Best point guard in history has got to be Magic Johnson. And then you can make an argument Isaiah is right there at number two and John Stockton's right there at number three. Think about that, guys. The three best point guards in the history of basketball played pretty much in the same era. I'm telling you, man, 80s through mid-90s was the golden era of the NBA. I always have loved boxing, but I was basketball crazy in those years because it was, dude, you had three of the top, probably five players, at least three of the top 10 best players ever. Jordan, Magic, and Bird, all playing. You had three of the best point guards ever. Magic, Isaiah, John Stockton. You had one of the best shooters ever in Chris Mullen. Uh, people talk about Steph Curry. Get the fuck out of here. Chris Mullen. Um, who else? I, I, mean, there's some, I can keep going here. I don't want to get off on an NBA tangent. But I'm just telling you, man. Man, being a fan at that time of basketball, you were so spoiled. It's just not the same anymore. It's just not the same anymore. Yeah, I'm not trying to diss uh, Steph Curry, but he's butter soft. He's soft like goo. If he played in that era, you see, Chris Mullen could shoot like Steph Curry, but he was also tough and could bang with you in that era. He could go up against the bad boys, the Bulls, the Knicks. And bang with them and still shoot silky smooth. Steph Curry, you breathe on that motherfucker. It's a foul, number one. But number two, oh, my pinky hurts. I need to sit out for a week. That's the modern fucking NBA. These dudes are soft like goo, man. I can't watch that shit. And I will say Jordan kind of started changing the rules that led to the soft-ass NBA we get now. Okay, back to boxing. Robert Blake says, Montero on boxing? Okay, I'll start talking about boxing again. Uh, actually, guys, there's no other news right now. I mean, in terms of boxing, that's it. That's it. So I don't know what you know. You guys want? I mean, look, man. I talk some NBA. I talk some cycling. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about these protests? Do you want to talk about these riots? Because I have some opinions. But uh, all right, Mike Mindiola in the chat says I got some breaking news, Mike. Cool, Mindiola. Is that you calling in, bro? I'm gonna jump over to this phone call. All right, 317, you're on TNC. <laughs> What's up,
1: Mike? It's Jack again.
0: Jack, I thought that was you. I was like, 317, that's Jack. What's up, man?
1: Well, was there any other callers?
0: No, no, no. no. there's no. Hey, Mindiola says he's got breaking. Okay, he's going to text me in private. Okay. All right, man, text me later. No, go ahead, Jack.
1: All right, I'm good. You're not going to be like, whoa, well, no, you got all your time on here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, Hey, man, I said open discussion today. So whatever you guys want to talk about, we'll go as long as you want. I'm chillin'. So go ahead, man.
1: All right. So kind of like unrelated, but like Canelo posted, maybe this is the breaking news. This guy was talking about, he posted, how long ago was it? Um, on his Instagram, 33 minutes ago, he says, i uh, to go to translation says, no, it's a picture of him with a black dude saying no racism. We all deserve the same treatment. Latinos suffer from the same and this has to stop. And I mean, like I'm not trying to be political, but <laughs> Canelo, you're white. <laughs> like. <laughs>
0: He's both, as I said before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, well, look, if he wants to be positive and that's his, whatever, cool. But I, I do think that there's a lot of people posting stuff right now where they're trying to take something that really isn't about them and make it about them. And in my opinion, that's kind of disrespectful to the the man that died. Look, yeah. this isn't about you, dude. This is about a man who lost his life. Stop trying to, like, trivialize what happened to this guy and make this shit about you. And is uh, wrong. The statistics do not back up what he said in regards to uh, interactions with police, arrest rates, and th- those sorts of things. Um, you know, the, the statistics show that it does affect one group more than others. And for him to try to lump himself in with that And by the way, he's a privileged multimillionaire who doesn't even live in America. Like, dude, I I understand he's trying to, like, be inclusive with his post and stuff. But, dude, don't make this shit about you. That's my issue with a lot of people right now on social. They're trying to make something about them that's not about them.
1: Yeah. Uh Jay Perez said Canelo probably been bullied for being a white red-haired Mexican. He you was think? apparently. Yes, yeah. So I'm, I'm,
0: you think you think he might be insecure about being a white a white dude who's got red hair cuz he got picked on his whole life by the mestizo and indio kids in his neighborhood? You think? <laughs> Come on, man. Of course he yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, there's a 24/7 thing
1: about like Triple G and uh canelo like before their second fight and they asked like about street fights and canelo said like someone was making fun of me or something like from red hair and he said he like pinned him on the ground and then his like sister uh picked him up and was saying canelo you're gonna kill somebody and then triple g was like uh, asked about a street fight and he was like <laughs> he was like oh you know i uh i was in the car and a guy got out and he wanted to fight and i uh I walk over and I'm like, oh, you, you on street? <laughs> you on street fight? You on okay, street fight? Dinner. My friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, what happened next? And he's like, it's not legal.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, you want to no, talk about friend... street fights in that part of the world? Shit. No, no, my friend literally said, he said, <laughs> Golov could probably kill them. <laughs> Shit. Well, I'm not going to put anything on record. I, hey, I'm just saying the street fights over in that part of the world that's a whole different level of street fight you know what i'm saying um uh, you know a lot of people think that there's some tough badass because they go throw a brick through a starbucks window uh you're not a badass dude you're you're a pussy so uh, anyway anyway yeah
1: (laughs) uh did you see yeah. Did you see John Jones walking around? Uh, that's what Piglet Smith said. Did you see John Jones walking around stopping vandalism? Lol, they were so scared of him. Yeah, so I saw that. So the thing is, people...
0: So oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I saw that. I saw that. I've, saw, I've, I've seen a bunch of stuff on Twitter. Videos that the news is not reporting. They're only reporting certain elements of this whole thing. There's a lot of stuff going on that the news won't talk about.
1: Yeah, uh a lot of my friends are going to like the dangerous part i'm from indiana right and i'm literally telling you i'm like in the safe like top 30 safest cities in the world (laughs) like no like well america like for real so but they're going all the way down to fort wayne they're literally like taking their phones just recording the riots i'm like how like stupid can you be to go down there and actually like put your life at risk just to, just to take a video
0: get those clicks bro gotta get those uh youtube clicks i've seen uh, so, uh, I, there are members of the boxing community i'm not going to give names but there are members of the boxing community who participated in some of the protests this weekend now i don't know if they vandalized things i don't know if they did anything illegal but they were there around those people doing that stuff <laughs> Uh, that's a shame, man. That's a shame. I, I support everyone's right to protest, you know, if you feel. But again, I just think a lot of people are trying to make something about them when they should be focused on the people involved and making things better for the people involved, not making some shit about you. And that's just what social media is about, though, dude. It's about getting those endorphins when, when people like your shit. So people are parents. They They tweet. They post what everybody else is saying so that they can get uh, social brownie points. And that shit just angers me, man. Hmm. All
1: right. I wanted to get some, so I'm not trying to like uh, nut hug you here, but you're really, (laughs) you're really accurate with your predictions. Like very, very accurate. Um, And I wanted to get your opinion on some fantasy matchups. All right. All right. So we got, Frazier versus
0: Tyson. Mm, Prime Tyson. You know, that that's a really good matchup. Um, damn, dude. That's a really good matchup. That's probably a distance fight. I'm going to take Mike by decision. Yeah, well, the thing is,
1: we saw, like, Frazier against Foreman. He, he's just this come-forward fighter and, like – Frazier's not as, like, defensively good as Tyson. And I just think Tyson would actually, like, roll through him, actually. Like, being honest. Like, and Frazier's an amazing fighter, but just style-wise, I think Tyson's horrible for him.
0: Yeah, the style, I mean, you can't really compare him to Foreman. But um, just Tyson kind of did a lot of things that Frazier did, only better. Just more explosive, faster, more athletic. And Frazier, because of the era he fought in and because he has a legit W over Ali, I know this is going to sound blasphemous. I think some people overrate Frazier. I think Frazier was a, great heavyweight, a great heavyweight, but I think some people overrate him because they got to justify that Ali, Ali's L to him. It's just the reality, but that's just my opinion.
1: I thousand percent agree. Um No Tyson to Floyd Patterson never existed. That's what Captain Crotch has said. No Tyson. Oh, because Custom Auto. Oh, okay. All right, 154-2013, Floyd Mayweather versus Gennady Golovkin. Whew.
0: Can I say
1: something here?
0: Go ahead, go ahead.
1: All right, so the thing is, do you actually think, No, even though Floyd's like amazingly defensive, like amazing defensively, do you think he could actually like avoid most of Triple G's jabs? I don't think he could. His jab's simply too quick for like anyone.
0: Well, I think he'd time them. He'd time them and he'd he'd slip a lot of them. But I I just think size and energy and everything would play a factor in that fight. And if you have a 12-round fight there at 154 with that prime version of Golovkin – Rolling downhill on a older Floyd, I, I'm picking. I'm picking Gennady in that fight, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with that, but I just would. I just would. Now, um, yeah, dude. Like, just because Golovkin is not a big middleweight, but he'd be a he'd be a big 154, a big powerful, sturdy 154. He'd roll downhill, and he'd have enough body work and different angles. He would jab to Floyd's chest. And he'd also, when Floyd would make adjustments to that, he'd start jabbing to the shoulder, he'd start feinting, he'd start jabbing to the body, he'd start looping his shots up top. Uh, He he had enough variety at that time with his size and his pressure style. I, I think he'd beat Mayweather at that time. I just do.
1: Yeah, um, Dan, uh, Dan Raphael tweeted recently saying, and this got a lot of hate, because people got a hate on uh, Golovkin, but he said, no one in history, no middleweight in history walks through Golovkin. And I was like I was saying to everyone, the only middleweight who probably beats Golovkin is Roy Jones Jr., but that would be a close fight still.
0: Well, on any given night, several middleweights throughout history could beat him. It's just, you know, prime for prime, and then you get into all that kind of uh... discussion. But But I agree with... Dan Rafia, I saw that tweet. Uh, nobody t- And, like, that shouldn't be a controversial statement. Who th- who out there thinks somebody like uh, Hopkins or whatever would just roll through Golovkin? A lot of like, people do, actually. That's ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, they're just haters.
1: Okay, I'm going to tell you something and people in this stream that is very – well, you might know this. Did you know um... – <laughs> I don't know if you're going to – this is bad news, but you know Golovkin actually had Corona in the Derry-Venchenko fight.
0: No, I haven't heard that.
1: Okay, let me tell you something. I'm not going to say who it is. I can, like, text you personally, but you know Kazakhstan's right next to China, right? It's pretty close, yeah. No, they're, they're, like, touching each other. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and a guy I know, like, well in the media, he, uh, well, not media, it's a fighter. He also said secretly, he, he said not to tell anyone because I called him in like a, a thing I had, and then he called me after saying he think he thinks Glove had Corona and he did, but he was hiding it. And this was like February. He had it, but he was hiding it. Okay, I'll say he's a Golden Boy fighter. That's all I'll say. And he was saying how uh, a lot of Triple G's friends around the time were very sick too, um, and I was like,
0: that okay, what, always, Well, said... look, the timeline of that. I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility, but that fight with Drevyachenko was October 5th. And yeah. that's around the time that they think that it started, but it started in a very particular part of China that's not touching Kazakhstan. I understand the country border of China does, but not that area of Wuhan. Unless I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong here. but um, I just, look, I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility. However, um, I just, that's until we see some evidence or something, that's a conspiracy <laughs> the theory, chat? bro. Huh? Do you see the chat? See what I put yeah, it? I see the chat.
1: Well, I, you know. I don't want to say it out loud because he, like, he was like secretive about me. But, you know, he actually, he had it in February. And that he said it was like horrible. He actually had it but he kept it really secret and he didn't even tell like Oscar or anyone like besides like his coach.
0: Hmm. Well, there's uh if that person had it, I mean, I think there's millions of Americans I mean, just speaking of here in America that had it and either don't know they did, or, you know, now they're looking back and thinking, damn, I think I had COVID. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot more of it out there than people realize it's just the death rates. Remember, dude, They were say, weren't they saying like something like 20 million Americans were going to die or something? It was some crazy statistic. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's not what a lot of people made it out to be. But um, either way, it's clear Gennady Golovkin was sick for that Drevyanchenko fight. He was not healthy. Um, but, you know, that still, it ended up being, being one of the fights of the year. It was a great fight. And I think that's a really good win. That's going to age well for Triple G. Um,
1: one of the things, and I, I think you can possibly agree with this. You know, in the Rosado fight, he had the flu, so uh, you knew that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, in the in the Rosado fight, we saw how messed up his face got, and I think when Golovkin's sick, like, and they also showed the Dara fight. I don't think he puts everything into his punches. This is just me. Like, you see how messed up these guys' faces are, like Rosado and Gary I think when he's sick, like, he doesn't try and go, like, he's boxing, obviously, but I don't think he's putting everything into his punches. That's why, like, Derev would have been knocked out if he put – if he was putting everything into his shots. But just look at their
0: faces. Like, Rosado – Like A lot of that comes down to your skin, bro. I mean, like, Rosado cuts when the the air blows on his face. I I love Gabe, but he's a cutter. He's a bleeder. (laughs) Um, but I, I think that if, if Gennady had fought Derevianchenko 2015, 2016, he probably would have stopped him then this version of Gennady, he's going to box a little bit more. He's going to try to conserve energy a little bit more. He's not going to be that seek and destroy type of dude. And let's give Derevianchenko some credit, man. He fought well in that fight. He landed a body shot that buckled Gennady's knees. He, he, it was a great Let's performance from Derevianchenko. <laughs> he heard him with that body shot, dude. I don't remember what round it was. Not talking about
1: that, Mike.
0: Well, look, don't man. Not about that. You G- know, Gennady, Gennady, what you Gennady took it. Gennady took it and kept coming. A lot of dudes would have folded. So, I mean, I, to me, both those guys' <clears throat> stock went up in that fight. It was just a great fight. But you can't yeah. always judge a fighter based on the way his face looks. You just can't.
1: No, yeah, yeah, you're right. Also, I was able to DM Derry Vanchenko, and you know what he actually said? Because, like, he's actually pretty open on Twitter. I said, uh, let's see what he said. You're the first guy to ever wobble him in fights, amateur approach to the body, but would you say he has one of the best chins ever? And he said, maybe, yes. That's literally what Derry Vanchenko said. I got screenshots.
0: Yeah, I, I believe he would say that. You know, he's a pretty honest guy. That's pretty cool, though. <clears throat> yeah, I mean – After, I mean, he nailed Gennady with some hard shots. So has Canelo. Jacobs hit him with some hard shit. Uh, And and all those guys can punch pretty well. So, yeah. Uh, To me, what was most impressive was him taking that body shot. That was impressive. And he took some hard body shots from Canelo, too. And, man, I'm telling you, getting hit hard to the body, you have to dig really deep to get through those moments. And um, he he was able to do that. So, again, man, you know, I, I might need to punch up that fight and watch that again. Because uh, I ain't seen that one in a while. That was a damn good fight. <laughs> what else Smith you got, Matt? I, I got a. But... What's up?
1: Um, Piglet Smith and I wobbled Triple G, but the cameras weren't rolling. Sorry.
0: I love it. Oh, he, he also says Drevchenko beat him. Oh. Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I thought Golovkin won that fight. I, I, it was very close, but Golovkin with that knockdown won the fight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Derek um I still see him. I asked him about fighting Charlo, and he – okay, I said – this is the first DM I said. I said, hey, champ, I hope to watch you KO Charlo soon. Hopefully he doesn't duck you. He said, hello, Jack. I think it can be a great fight as well. And then, uh, yeah, so I, I think he beats Charlo because I think Charlo is a bit, like, overrated. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll both, disagree. Both yeah. the brothers. Yeah, I think that um, who, the thing with Derevyanchenko, dude, is we just don't know how he's going to look because he took a lot of punishment in that Golovkin fight. I don't know if he's going to be the same. He had a tough, grueling fight with Jacobs, but an even more grueling fight against Golovkin. And I just don't know if he's going to be the same dude after that. If he is, then I agree. I agree that he could absolutely beat Charlo. Yeah. All right, do you have another caller? Yeah, I was gonna say, man, I got another guy here in the queue, so let me jump All over right, to this man. call.
1: All right, you take it easy.
0: Alright, bro, you too. Right, let's jump over to this other call here. All right. Five seven oh, you're on the show. Go. Hey, yeah, this is Max uh,
2: from Facebook, Fat actually. So I said I was gonna give you a call. And uh, you know, you're on you're on my favorite topic right now, and that's Golovkin. All right.
0: Um, What's- it's good to hear from you, man. If Go so ahead and shoot, bro. Let's, this will yeah, be just, the Golovkin show.
2: <laughs> Should be every, every every time. But anyway, uh, I was watching this. Yeah, I was bored this weekend watching this fight. Um, I've always respected uh, what this guy brought to the table, not only toughness, but skill. And, and so many people underrate his skill level and his ring IQ. The way he generates power, it's through the art of shifting. And if you I, – I know you know what that is. But uh, Jack Dempsey did it, and Roberto Duran did it. Two two of my all-time favorite fighters. They're able to get that power on the front foot and land from awkward angles with punches you would never think had the type of power on, on those punches because it's just not natural to have that much power on, on just punches that you wouldn't be able to generate power. Angles. Um, it's so insulting to hear that, um, boxing fans would, would think certain fighters like a Roy Jones would beat a Golovkin. I know we all have opinions, but it's my opinion that triple G would walk down Roy Jones and he would break him down. Um, and that was steroid era Roy Jones. Okay. That's fair. And yeah. And I, I, I call it like I see him. Look, there's steroids everywhere. But that Roy Jones was a freak, freak of nature because of the drugs. Um, well, there was a the freakish rest, you know, amount of talent,
0: though. Too, let's be honest. I mean, there was the steroids yeah. enhanced everything, but at uh, you know at one sixty. Like Barry Bonds. What's up?
2: Like Barry Bonds, he he was a yeah. thirty five a uh, three hundred thirty five a year hitter out the steroids. With the right. steroids, he hits like sixty. Right. So it's right. kind of like along those lines but the thing we saw with jones at the end of his career was that he was very vulnerable to punchers and pressure even in his prime a guy like triple g would come in with that jab and just stonewall him so accurate with that he just controls fighters with the jab and when you have a chin the way golovkin has even past his prime and we never saw a prime triple g fight in the united states because i watched some of his old fights in germany that guy was aggressive he was like roberto duran except 30 pounds bigger so it's just painful to hear boxing fans that kind of underrate triple g and not give him the credit where credit is due um it's a thing of beauty if you're a boxing fan. Well, and...
0: I think it, it's one thing to – look, if someone has an opinion that Roy Jones beats Gennady Golovkin or, in your case, you feel Golovkin beats Jones, it's fine to have an opinion. But well, yeah. I'm cool with that. But, like, like as you said, for people to just discount the skill level – and I think this happens unfairly with a lot of Mexican fighters. Um, again, right. I'll go back to when Orlando Salido fought Francisco Vargas. That was an amazing right. fight with a lot of skill, a lot of brutality, but a lot of skill. And I saw people on yeah. Twitter dissing that fight, saying it was you know bum fights, two two journeymen skillless brawlers. And I'm like, what are you, what are you watching, dude? Not wow. everyone's going to have the style of Pernell Whitaker or Floyd Mayweather, and that shouldn't be held against them. People have different styles. But dude, I don't know if you've uh, go to Lukey Boxing's channel, and okay, I did um. I I did a show with him recently where he wanted to do a deep dive on Gennady Golovkin's career. And he, he reached Mm -hmm. out to me because he knew I was kind of along for the ride in LA during those years when Gennady came over here and it kind of blew up. And so he brought me on and um, we just basically talked about Golovkin's career for like an hour. And one of the things we talked about was his skill set and the things he does that I think people just don't see. When people think defense, they think Sweet Pea, they think Whitaker. And obviously, yeah. he was a genius. Okay. They think Willie Pep. He was a genius. But there's other forms of defense. And sometimes staying in the yeah. pocket and catching a shot uh, and then yeah. shooting over your shot or whatever, that's a form of defense, you know? And, and so exactly. people, I think, discount a lot of fighter skills, and it's unfair. Yeah, and, and the perfect
2: example of what you just said was in the Danny Jacobs fight. Yeah. And, you know, you guys spoke about facial damage. The Lufkin was clean. His face was clean after that fight. And the reason why, he, he carried a lot of those punches. He ducked under a lot of those punches. And he, and, and he, he wasn't taking full, uh, the full blow, except when he got hit in the body a couple of times. He took the full uh, thrust of the punch. But that fight was a a thing of beauty on Golovkin's defense. And it's, you know, it's amazing how people can misconstrue that fight and say, oh, well, it was a close fight. He lost this and that. I mean, these are just, you know, the the typical boxing haters from the LDBC saying that. (laughs) But he doesn't get the credit he's due. Um, It's just, and he was past his prime that, uh, that time. And also he was outweighed about 20 pounds by Danny Jacobs that night. That was yeah. the infamous 48-hour uh, rehydration.
0: Right, the uh, IVF. Case. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I think that was also due to, I think it was the St. Patrick's Day Parade. They had to move the way in early. So I want to say the way in yeah. It was the earliest way in I've ever been to. We had to get the, over exactly. there, it's I the think same. it was 9 in the morning to set up right. and everything. Uh, it was really, really... So, so Danny Jacobs had all that time. And, and it wasn't like he rigged this. This, It was because of the parade, but it worked to his advantage, you know, it's not like Danny Jacobs promotion said, Oh, let's, you know, move the way in earlier. Uh, No, that was the bear and everyone involved that needed to block off streets. But uh, yeah, all that worked to his advantage. And the one thing, you know, Golovkin, I think in that situation, Golovkin realized, okay, I'm not faster than this guy. I'm not taller. I'm not longer. Um, I'm older than them. I'm slower than yeah. them. I'm going to have to yeah. move through here and eat shots on the way in. But as you said, parrying the shot, slipping with the shot, oh, rolling yeah. and moving with the shot, pivoting, to to get punches sliding and slipping off of you, to get yourself in position to land your shots, that is a skill. It might not look as beautiful, and, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but it may not look as pretty to some people as Mayweather's shoulder roll, making a guy like uh, Robert Guerrero miss, or Mike Marcos Maidana miss. It might not look as pretty as that to them, but it's just as effective. Uh, it worked for Golovkin. And, um, you know, people like – it's still working. It's st- Well, well. He's, let's see how he looks in this a 38 next
2: fight. Year old <laughs> he's 38-year-old man. He's an old 38, he's too. He's an old pocket. 38.
0: Yeah. But there's yeah. plenty of guys I mean, in the top 10 pound for pound right now or who are right on that bubble who have that sort of defensive style. Like, you do not everyone has elite level head movement. I remember uh, going into the gym at times and I'd try to do all this freaky head movement and shit. It's one thing to faint, but like I can't slip eight punches in a row with head movement. Yeah. And my coaches would be like, no. what are you doing? You don't you, you're not that fast. Stop. <laughs> Put yeah. your hands and another, up and, eat and, and block and... the damn shot. Parry the shot you know? And when you do that, you, you put yourself out of position.
2: Okay. But Mike, like, if you want to look at somebody who did that perfectly was Mike Tyson, he yeah. would be able to come in, Bob and weave, move his head and make you miss. And when you miss, and even the other fighters would quote this, it's your, it's your butt. Like yeah. if you miss it's over. Cause then he's an account. He's in perfect position to counter, not a very small amount of fighter can actually do that to put himself in a position after you miss and then lay into a shot with full power and get you out of there. That's what he did. Um, but he was that was a young man style, the peekaboo defense. Tyson's style was made for a young man. And, and uh, very fast, a very fast, a very
0: athletic young man. Not everyone can pull that off the same way. But that, there's different forms of athleticism. There's different forms of skill. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up Golovkin against Jacobs. I think it... Was it Daniel Giel that he knocked out while Giel landed a punch? I think it was Giel. Yeah, right when he landed a punch, yeah. But because Golovkin was in better position, because he had positioned himself, because he was on his front foot moving forward, Giel was moving backwards, you saw the difference in how those punches landed and the effect that they had. And that's an example of superior skill beating out inferior skill. Right there is an example of it. And it, it might not Perfect look either. as pretty again as, oh, I'm going to sit on the ropes and make you miss and then tap you a couple times and dance away. But he got the dude out of there. It was effective. It worked for him. It, that style doesn't age as well, though. I, that is true. Yeah.
2: yeah. That goes without saying. And that's a shame. Because like I said earlier, we, you know, in America, we truly never did see the young version of Golovkin when he was an animal and he would just, he had it all. Maybe not as much experience in big fights, obviously, but just the sheer, like his, his attack style was, was something to admire. I can't see many fighters in history holding up to that, at least in my history, I'm from 75 and on. Okay. But, um, maybe the only fighter, you know, at least, you know, in, in our time that would, that would give him a battle heads up would be Hagler and James Tony, an in shape James Tony, those are the only guys that would be able to fight him on those terms and maybe come out slightly ahead or even. Mm-hmm. Anyone else, they wouldn't be able to stand that pressure and power. And uh, that's and I'm an expert on Golovkin's fights and a lot as, and a lot of other guys too. Um, that's my opinion, and uh, it just stinks that people dislike Golovkin because of things outside of boxing
0: yeah unfortunately uh, there's a lot of that going around man look I can say the same thing about Chocolatito Chocolatito Chocolatito. people need to go back and look at some of his fights that that fight against Juan Francisco Estrada I've said it a bunch of times that might be the best win of the decade in terms of how it aged because Juan Francisco Estrada is still I think a top 10 pound for pound level fighter right now a decade later, basically, um, that that guy—you want to talk about being able to do everything? Holy shit! And because he doesn't right. necessarily fight with a defensive style and and everything, um, and he's not American, there are people that disregard Chocolatito's accomplishments. It's unfair. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, and um, I, you know, I can understand that a little bit because again, not a lot of people pay attention to the the lower weight divisions like that. I mean. But again, you know, it, the only fighter that I could say I really appreciated below, like in that weight level range, was Chiquita Gonzalez Oh yeah, and um, his fights against um, Carbajal. Mm-hmm. And I got Carbajal on one. my
0: wall back here. I gotta see. Uh, he's back yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, man.
2: Yeah. Awesome fights. Um, but those were great fights. And, and that kind of put those divisions on the map. That was the first million dollar fighter. Carbohol in that weight division That's in right. history. That's right. So, but again, you know, it's it's a shame a lot of people don't pay as much attention to those classes because we all relate to what we are, you know. And uh, you know, most uh, Americans walk around between 160 and 200 pounds, so we kind of you know pay more attention to people like us. But um, but again, it's great examples you bring up. Um, I could talk a Golovkin all day. I don't know if you have any more callers, but. You know, I just really wanted to get that through to you. And and one other thing, Um, when you put Bob Bennett in his place at that uh, press conference, that was a thing of beauty, not because, you know, it was, you know, shaming anybody. It's because finally someone had the, you know, what the peonies to stand up and say, hey, this is BS. This is destroying our sport. This is making a mockery, you know. of of our livelihoods and that scorecard she should not be allowed to ever score a fight in boxing again and what they did to Golovkin that night I mean that's that's how it to say it's highway robbery is an understatement um that kills a lot of our spirit as boxing fans to see that he was robbed of a victory against Canelo and in his history I don't know how it's going to going to age on that if if people are going to ever really know what happened that night. But he dominated a Canelo Alvarez, who's probably a top 3 fighter right now. And yeah. um yeah. and that and that goes without saying and to see politics get in the way, you know, of a, of a fighter's um crown jewel victory at that age, at he think he was like 35, 36 at the time. Yeah. I don't know. It it's just you, you know what I'm saying. But but for you to stand up there and give it to them without any, you know, recourse of action, because yeah, a lot of these people are political and they may, you know, say, Hey, well, you're not gonna get access to this event anymore. I just wanna say, you know, that you're a stand up guy and we need more guys like you in the media in general. Not just box. Thank you. Just in general.
0: Thank you, brother. Okay? I
2: appreciate so, that.
0: So, so keep up the good
2: work and just um, you know, you know, just don't change your style or who you are um, because politics, I'll tell you, it, it, it changes a lot of people. I've seen better men bow down yeah. uh, to the power. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're in a situation now where that's, you know, truly, you know, on display. Absolutely. So, again, great show. And, uh, you know, I'll be talking to you again soon.
0: Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good night, brother. You too. All right. Great call, great call. Awesome stuff, man. Awesome stuff. All right, guys. Um, well, I see. It, well, now we got everyone arguing about Golovkin and Canelo in the chat. You know, one thing. One thing about that fight, um, regardless of all the politics and all the buildup, and seeing decades of work by a person get taken away from him what should have been a signature moment by an inept if not corrupt organization um it's the 2020 hindsight people are having now because now people with agendas are going oh i scored that first fight for canelo no you didn't shut up no you didn't okay uh i i remember One thing I do that might be a little different than other members of the fight media, I actually look at the comments section, and not just on my stuff. If I watch another video, someone else's podcast, whatever it is, I go and I look at the comments. I do it with every video I watch, every article I read, whether it's on Ring TV or another site. If I go to boxing scene, if I go to ESPN, whatever it is, I look at the comments. I look at your guys' tweets, but a lot of times I'll look at a tweet and I'll open it up and I'll look at the thread. I like to get an idea of what you guys, the the fan community, are thinking and what your feelings on something are. Because I like to feel like I have a finger on the pulse, on the heartbeat of the fight fan. And I know a lot of people in the media don't do that. They'll look at a video. They might watch a video. They might read an article or whatever, and they just move on. I like to look at the comment section. I like to really dig in and see what people are thinking. And I remember after that, even people who didn't like Golovkin felt that he had got effed. <laughs> I've already said fuck on this show. They felt he got fucked. I remember there were LDBC members actually defending me for going after Bob Bennett. Because they hated Bob Bennett more than they hated Golovkin, at least at that time. So there's a lot of revisionist history now. And um, I've said this before, too. Had the decision went the way it should have in the first fight, had Golovkin won 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 116-112 like he should have, or even if it was a split decision, let's say Adelaide Byrd scored in a draw or whatever it is, and he ended up getting... the the decision majority decision win. Okay. Um, People wouldn't have been as pissed off at the scorecards in the second fight, but I think people were really pissed off because you guys got to remember over a two or three year period there, you had a situation with that first Canelo Kovalev fight, or I'm sorry, Canelo Golovkin fight in the first Ward Kovalev fight where Vegas establishment fighter versus anti-establishment or non-establishment fighter uh north american power structure based fighter versus quote-unquote russian fighter and i know golovkin's only half russian but both times most people feel there was an injustice so there was this nasty taste in people's mouths so going like the, the rematch between ward and kovalev was extremely polarized for all sorts of reasons okay but it was loaded because of the first the decision in the first fight. But that fight I think was closer than Canelo Golovkin their first fight. And I know this this issue's been this this horse is it's a dead horse and it's been beat to hell. I get it. But I really do think if they got the decision right that night and the right man had won when Canelo won, I think it was 115-113 in the second fight. Yes, Golovkin fans would have said, oh, no, 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 our guy won. But I think most moderate objective observers would have been like, ah, it's one-to-one now. It's split. That's what would have kind of been justice. And I think that same thing with the Ward and Kovalev situation. Had Kovalev got the decision in the first fight and kept his titles and he went into that rematch and he could make the demands and he could tell Ward, no, you're you're singing to my tune. And he had a little more power and privilege on his side as the champion going into that rematch, things would have been a little more on even terms, both behind the scenes and in front of the cameras. And had Ward still went low 500 times and knocked out Kovalev's testes, people still would have been pissed, but they wouldn't have been as pissed. I think that's often the issue is, you know, boxing, we are a fringe sport. We are... We're the redheaded stepchild of, of sports. And when there's only a handful of times a year when the mainstream is looking at us, that was what I was most pissed off about with Canelo and Golovkin and why I went off on Bob Bennett. Because that was the one time that year. And I think like the first time since the Mayweather Pacquiao debacle that everyone was watching boxing. Everyone. Right. That night. The biggest event in sports that week, maybe even that month, not boxing, in sports, at that time, was this fight. It was the biggest sporting event of of that time. And everyone was looking at us, and we fucked it up. And I include myself in that because I'm part of the community, and you guys are too. We fucked it up. So everyone's looking at us. Already, guys, everyone always hates unboxing. Everyone. The mainstream guys, they look at us as this dysfunctional, fucked up cousin or whatever. You know, this dysfunctional family member that occasionally they'll talk to and hang out with, but we annoy the shit out of them, and they don't. They just don't like us. So when we screw it up, they're like, oh, see, that's why I don't mess with boxing no more. It just gives them an excuse. And I, I remember hearing the scorecards and thinking, The celebrities, the the late-night talk show hosts, all these people are just going to take this and run with it and beat the shit out of our sport even further. And sure enough, I remember going on Twitter, and people like Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said something like, this is why I don't watch boxing, It's, it's corrupt, right? And it got thousands of retweets. Do you think Aaron Rodgers knows what the fuck he's talking about? No! He's a fucking simp. He's a fucking casual. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about when it comes to boxing. But guys like him, LL Cool J, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, all piled on. And so everyone was beating the shit out of boxing. And that, guys, that can only happen so many times. We get pushed further and further and further under the surface every time we screw something like that up. It's bad enough that we screw it up when the diehards are looking, which happens a lot, right? We talk about that kind of stuff a lot. But when the mainstream is looking at us, we got to get it right. We have to get it right. And the one thing, the, the reason why I trolled so hard after Tyson Fury knocked out Deontay Wilder is because that was an event where the mainstream was paying attention to us, and we got it right. We got it right. There was no controversy. Right, it was just a great fight. The ref, uh, you know, I didn't like the refs. He could have done a better job, but like it was just two guys fighting. It was a a conclusive finish. Tyson Fury promised he'd do something, and he did it. Oh God, Cody in the chat and Tim Nick are going to go nuts because I mentioned Deontay Wilder. But when the excuses followed, that took something where it was like, and then all the glovegate stuff. and, and, And Deontay has not said anything about the Glovegate stuff. That's all his fans doing that. But when all that followed, I'm like, dude, you're taking something that we got right. We had the mainstream looking at us, and we did it right. It was a great event. It didn't just live up to expectations. It exceeded them. We had the most important sporting event of that week, that weekend, whatever, and we fucking crushed it. It went great. And then there's all these fucking morons messing it up. And and all these conspiracy theories and all this crazy shit. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? You're taking the one instance in recent years where we actually got it right. And you're screwing it up, dude. Mayweather Pacquiao, a complete shit show. The uh, Canelo Golovkin, horrible decision, injustice. Kovalev Ward, nowhere near that level of fight. But we screwed it up. People were looking at that fight. You had uh, Mayweather McGregor, which was a scripted... Uh, you know, comedy, right? You had all of these things where we screwed it up in some way, shape or form. And then boom, we knocked this shit out of the park and these fucking idiots on Twitter, on YouTube, screw it up. All these crazy conspiracy theories, all this racial shit that didn't belong there. Damn it. So even if the commission and the media and everybody gets that shit, right? Assholes on YouTube, will screw it up. So on that note, uh, <laughs> keeping it aligned with everything else that's going on in our country right now. We'll just end it on that. We've been going here for about an hour and a half. I hope you guys enjoyed the chat. I see a bunch of you are arguing now in the chat. That's awesome. Keep at it guys. Have fun. Keep that energy. Uh, I know uh, there's two guys, Tim, Nick, I'll go ahead and give you a shout out and Cody 8804. If I mention Deontay Wilder, Oh shit. They're going to lose their mind. So the, the, the comments on this vid are going to be fun. Anyway, guys, let's go ahead and let's get that outro music playing. You guys know the song. You know the song. There it goes. All right. So, um, look, if you guys want to hear about some of the, my thoughts and feelings on the protests, the riots, and how I stand on all that stuff, um, let me know. Let me know in the comments section. Tweet me. DM me. And maybe I'll do a rant video on that subject later this week. So I can keep it real specific. So if you don't want to hear about that shit, you ain't got to watch it. But you guys know I have opinions and I don't mind sharing them. Anyway, guys, I'll see you at the fights. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other.